0: You are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I'd like to bring to you tonight a message entitled, A Vision of Christ. A Vision of Christ. Let's bow together for prayer, please. Now, Lord, we've had a good time today. We thrilled at the invitation this morning and the folks that got saved and joined the church and the baptisms and all that was done here at this altar. And then, Lord, so many of us had a wonderful day this afternoon with our families and different things rotating around the season of the year. And now, Lord, we're here tonight and we desperately need you to meet with us. We want you to. We invite you to. We beg that you would. And so I offer myself to be used in whatever fashion tonight that you'd be pleased to use me. And Father, I beg for the filling of Thy Holy Spirit power. Our minds race, especially the minds of the young ones in the room. They race with what's going to occur when they get home tonight or perhaps tomorrow morning. But I pray for a little while we just fix our attention upon Thee. Help us to do it. And then at the invitation, Lord, may we respond. And if perchance there's somebody here tonight without Christ as Savior, may tonight be the night, the best beginning of anyone's life as they find Christ as their Savior. And then, for those of us that might know you, knit our hearts a little bit closer to thine this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, a young man and young lady, as we witnessed here last Friday night, were united in holy matrimony. It came down to the first big major dinner, supper time that the young lady is going to prepare for her husband. So she went down to the store and she bought a big roast and brought it home. and she started preparing this thing just like she had always seen. She chopped off the right side of the roast and chopped off the left side of the roast, put it in the pan, threw it in the oven, cooked it. Well, the husband came home, and he was delighted to see that the roast was there. He wondered why so much had been chopped off on either side. And he said, well, honey, why did you do that? She said, well, I'm I'm not really sure. I uh, just always saw my mom do it that way. So they got together around Thanksgiving time, and he said, Mom, I've been wanting to ask you a question. He told the story of what had happened. He said, could you tell me why you taught your daughter to do this to the roast? Chop off the right and chop off the left. Put what's left in the oven and cook it. She said, well... I don't really know. I just always saw my mom do it that way, and I thought that's the way you're supposed to do it. So he finally got an occasion to ask his wife's grandmother, why in the world did she begin the tradition of chopping off the right side of the roast and the left side of the roast and putting what was left in the oven and cooking it? And she said, well, that's easy to tell you, son. It's real simple. When, you're, uh, when my husband and I got married, your wife's grandfather and I got married, we only had one pan. And it was too small to get the entire roast into, and so I chop off this side, chop off that side, and put it in the oven. Now, when they started doing that, there was a reason for it to be done. But then tradition just carried it forward and nobody knew why. You know, Christmas time is pretty much like that. Those of us that know the real reason understand all about it, amen? We know that on this date in history, now maybe not exactly this date and where our folks should argue about the months and so forth when Jesus was really born, but this day that we set aside, set aside to remember the birth of Christ, we know what it's for. But there's a world out there that's got not the foggiest notion in the world why we have Christmas time. They think it's all about Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Christmas trees, and I'm not fighting all that tonight. Let me tell you something, there is a reason for the season, as you've heard. Someone say, I'd like us to fix our attention back upon the tradition tonight and find out what it's really all about. Revelation chapter one, and beginning down there at verse 13, as we read a moment ago, says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the foot, and good about the Paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like the fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now notice what John said here. He said, And when I saw him... Notice that. John said, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead... And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And had the keys of hell and of death. Now did you notice John's reaction when he got a look of who Christ was? He fell at his feet as a dead man. That's not the reaction that Jesus received when he came the first time. When he came the first time, the world got together in the little cricks and they they whispered together that he was the illegitimate child of a little girl that had gone up with some German soldier somewhere. They said that he was reared in a home that was not the right kind of a home. They said that he was a blasphemer. They said that he deserved to die. They said that he was someone that claimed that he was God, but he was not God. But when they saw him the second time, when he came back in all of his glory, John did not want to rise and say, No, you're just a mere man, as they thought he was when he came the first time. He said, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And Jesus had to come over and tell him that it was all right. Now, what was it that John saw? What vision did John have of Christ that you and I need to grab hold of tonight to make us have the right kind of Christmas tomorrow? What was it that the eyes of John beheld that caused him to look into the face of the one that died for his sins and fall at his feet as dead? He did not crat around with his head held high and his chest stuck out and tried to tell Jesus how great servant he was to be put out on the Isle of Patmos and pat himself on the back that he is some spiritual giant. He fell as a dead man at the feet of this one that he got a vision of. What was it that he saw? Look with me again back at verse number 13. In the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the son of man pulled with a garment down to the foot, and girded about the paps with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were white like wool. His head and his hairs were white like wool. I'd like to remind you the first of all tonight, remember his head. Remember his head was not always the vision of his head to cause one to lie silent at his feet. But Jesus himself spoke these words and I remind you of them tonight. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the airs have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. Imagine that he came to a world, the greatest gift that man has ever seen yet he had not where to call his own to lay his head down at night and find sweet rest for the uh, respite of his soul in the evening hours. I'd remind you of his head, not only that he had no place to lay it down in peace, but the Bible says that the head of Christ in those beginning days, the first time that he came was the head about whom they placed a bag and the folks gathered around him and doubled up their fists, the Bible says. The old Roman soldiers doubled up the fist and walked up and slugged him in the face through the bag that covered up his eyes. And somebody is reported to have said, If you're really God and you really know everything, then prophesy. Who was it that smote thee in the face with their fist? And somebody rightfully said that Jesus could well have answered The one whom I lovest just smote me with her fist and it would have been a right and a true answer. That head that caused the blood to come forth as the crown of thorns were placed there. Can you imagine... Those kind of thorns that were almost tipped in absolute pain as they thrust down upon his brow. They tell us they were anywhere from six inches to nine inches in length. And as they poked in this part of his brow and came out the other side, and the blood flowed with tears and sweat, flowed down his face. That was the head that they saw the first time that he came. Isaiah tells us that he was the head that caused him to come by and by the handfuls they reached up to the face and pulled the beard out of his face by the handfuls. It was the head that had been beaten and the face that had been spat upon by those that came by and had no sorrow, no concern for the one that was called the Savior. Yet now John says, I see a different head. I don't see a head that's stained with any blood. I no longer see a head that's pierced with holes and the thorns uh, coming out of the brow. I no longer see a face with the beard that has been plucked out by the hands, with all the insects and the infection that goes along with it that sets in. I no longer see the countenance of one that's in pain. But John said, now I see one whose head and hairs are white like wool. You know what? Too many of our Christmas carols remind us of just the baby. And I'm all for that because that's all part of the Christmas story. But thank God for the carols that go on and remind us that He's the coming King. Amen. Amen. Boy, when you get out of bed tomorrow morning, you stand in your living rooms and you plug in the tree and the lights are on and you have the carols playing on your record player or the tape player. And your children come out of bed are so excited they hardly touch the floor had a man tell me the other day as I got ready to leave, he said, Reverend, you preaching this Sunday? I said, yes, sir, I am, Sunday night. He said, Reverend, I don't like being called that, but it was his endearing term for me. He said, remind them whose birthday it is. And I said, Duke, I'll be glad to. I'd say, remind your children whose birthday it is. Oh, it's fun, all the things that we do around this Christmas time. But a vision of Christ is what's going to keep us walking the straight and narrow. See, his head now is one that belongs to the coming King. What was it? His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And then it says in verse number 14, the last part of that, And his eyes were as a flame of fire. His eyes were as a flame of A fire. I'd remind you tonight that we need not only to remember the head of this vision that John saw, the one who is known as the Son of God, but I'd remind you tonight we need to remember his eyes. I would carry you back to the first time he came. I would remind you of the time when he came when the world received him not. His eyes in those days beheld Jerusalem as he went up on top of the mountain to pray. And he looked down and saw the flickering flames of the torches outside the homes and lighting the streets of the city at night. And he cried as he looked over that city, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, those that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often I gather thee together as a mother hen would gather her chicks and you would not. Can you imagine the eyes of God that looked at a city that said, We don't want you. Those same eyes look at the same kind of world tonight. Matter of fact, those same eyes could very carefully look in and out of our hearts this evening and find there are some teenagers here tonight with smiles upon our faces and some moms and dads here tonight with a pleasant look upon our countenance. But if only our hearts could be revealed, the real inner thoughts that we have. I wonder how many times Jesus would look down with a broken heart tonight as His eyes would see our real our real feelings for Him. His eyes that look down from the cross... And he saw the crowd that was assembled as he hung there to die. And he saw his precious little mama down there, no doubt weeping, as she looked up and saw his son, this woman, Mary. Who had an angel appear to her in the midst of the night by the name of Gabriel and he said, fear not, for this child that shall be born to you is of God. His name shall be called Jesus. And she was under the impression that the rest were, that he was coming to usher in the kingdom. Everything was going to be fine. But now she gathered at the bottom of the cross with the rest of the crowd and watched him die. John looked down, or, or Jesus looked down and saw his mother, looked over and saw his half-brother John. And he said, John, behold thy mother and take care of her while I'm gone is what he was indicating there. Can you imagine the absolute sorrow and the broken heart he may have felt? Those eyes that came down when he had gone to pray in the garden. And he took his innermost closest friends, Peter, James, and John, the inner crowd. And he said, fellas, I'm going to go up here on the mountain and I'm going to pray. And I want you to stay down here at the bottom of the mountain. And I want you to watch with me in prayer. And Jesus went up for the travail of his soul. And the Bible says it was during that season of prayer that he was such grief and such burden that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And he came back down in the eyes of this one that loved us to go through so much agony. Found those three men asleep. And He woke them up and He said, What? Can't you even watch with me for the space of an hour? I have an idea those eyes find many of us asleep tonight. And I'm not talking about physically in this room with your eyes closed. I mean so many times we fall asleep when Jesus desires us to watch with Him. Those eyes when He came back from the beatings. Looking for somebody to be a comfort And he came out, and there he saw the bonfire, having heard the cock crow thrice. By his ever knowledge and all knowing, he had heard the voice of Peter curse his name. And he came eye to eye with Peter, knowing that Peter that had walked with him had now taken his name in vain. Those eyes that beheld the jeering crowds Those eyes that saw the doubt upon the face of Thomas. Those eyes that beheld the executioner as they lifted that awful mallet into the air and began to drive the nail into his body. Those aren't the eyes that John saw. No, sir. The Bible says here in verse number 14 that the vision that John saw that caused him to fall as a dead man at his feet. It says, And his eyes were as a flame of fire. Can't you just imagine John looking into the face of Christ, knowing that those eyes could penetrate his very soul? And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, those eyes are just as penetrating tonight as they were on the Isle of Patmos when John came face to face with him. Those eyes as a flame of fire. And those eyes, the Bible says, that look of to and fro and knows everything that man does. But then the Bible goes on and says this in verse 15. Verse 15. His feet were likened to fine brass as if they were burned in a furnace. His feet were as fine brass that had been burned in a furnace. Those aren't the feet that John saw the first time Jesus came. Those aren't the feet that the folks had gathered there and saw Jesus go up to the cross, viewed when Jesus came as a babe in the manger the first time. Those feet that they saw the first time stumble beneath the weight of the cross. Don't you recognize the story and remember the story as they placed the, cr- placed the cross upon his back and told him to carry it up to the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull outside the city. And he staggered underneath the weight of the, of the cross and fell down. And one soldier came over and kicked him in the side and said, Get up! Christ could not rise with the weight upon his back, and one was summoned out of the crowd to finish carrying the cross the rest of the way to the place of his execution for him. Those were the feet we saw the first time Jesus came. The first time Jesus came, we saw feet that grew weary in travel. We saw the feet that staggered beneath the weight of the sin of the world. We saw the feet that carried him from city to city to city. And yet Jesus said, I came into my own, and my own received me not. Boy, if you want to talk about that kind of thing happening today, just look at how many Xmas trees were for sale this year. Look at how many Xmas cards are for sale in the drugstores. Look at how many Xmas parties are going to be going on tonight while we're here in church. And what they call an Xmas party is aptly named because Christ has nothing to do with them as they go out and drink their beer and their, get their band, their dances and they're out somewhere in a ballroom tonight with some woman hoping to get them home. That's not their own life. Let me tell you something. Christ is not going to be that kind of an apparition when he comes back to mankind the second time. John said, I saw his feet that were as fine brass that burned in a furnace. Those that have studied the Bible a little bit will understand that brass is always a sign of judgment. And Jesus will come again. And as the Bible says, he'll tramp upon the sin of the world as the grapes of wrath and demand that his name be exalted once again. vision of Christ. The Bible goes on and says not only were his feet like going to find brass, but it goes on the latter part of verse 15 and says, And his voice... It says, the sound of many waters. It's not necessarily the voice they heard the first time. I alluded a moment ago about the disciples that fell asleep and Jesus came down with a broken heart and said with His voice, Can't you even watch with me for the space of an hour? As I alluded to a moment ago, it was the voice of Christ that was heard to say, I have nowhere to lay my head. It was Jesus as He looked out upon all the disciples. And I don't mean the immediate twelve that we think of when I say the word, but the disciples, the hundreds that had gotten saved. And many of them, the Bible says, at one time got discouraged about all the ruckus that was going on around Jesus and the, and the, the, uh, the influx of the, uh, of the enemy. The Bible says at one time, says all of one city departed. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and He said with His voice, Will you leave Me also? Will you also leave Me? I'm talking to folks tonight that ten years from now, as this church gathers together in 1999 for a New Year's Eve service a week from tonight, I'm talking to people who will have left Him also. So, not me, preacher. But by the grace of God, that statement may be true. The voice of Jesus as He hung upon the cross, hear me. His body had been ravaged by the cat of nine tails. He had been denied food and water for days. And He looked down at the little crowd that had assembled there to watch Him through the day. And he cried, I thirst. Can you imagine God, the Creator of all that is, having to say, I thirst. And then you know how they put the sponge in the vinegar and held it up to his mouth and said, You are thirsty? Take a big old drink of this vinegar. The voice that said, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken me? And the voice that said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's not the voice that John came into contact with here in this vision. He said, I heard the voice, as it were, of many waters. Ladies and gentlemen, I understand today that it takes some little bit extra on our part to stand up to the ridicule you're going to face in the world. I know all about what happens when you go to work and people find out that you're one of the fundies. Amen? And you suddenly become a brunt of their jokes. And your neighbors don't want to have anything to do with you. I know all about that kind of stuff. I know what it is when family members themselves suddenly get together and decide you're just a little bit too radical for them. I'm here to tell you that one of these days when Jesus comes back again and we are able to see Him as John saw Him, we're going to hear the voice as it were of many waters. And from that voice, let me guarantee you, we're going to take great comfort and joy. The voice of judgment. He said, I am the Alpha, Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am He which was alive and then was dead, but now I am again. Well, that's a pretty good statement coming from somebody that you loved. Amen. Then the Bible goes on and makes this statement. Look at this in verse 16. He had in his hand, he had, he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. We'll talk to you just a moment about his hands. Those hands, when he walked upon the earth the first time, were the hands that allowed him to walk over next to the coffins when they walked down the streets and touched the bodies and broke up the funeral procession as they got up and walked. Those hands that, when he spat upon the ground and mixed something in the sand, and he put the salve on the eyes of the blind man, and he opened his eyes and saw for the first time those hands... Those hands that he held out willingly to those that would kill him and had the awful piercing pain of the nails that went through his body as he held and extended his hands to the world to take advantage of him. Those hands, those hands that held the preachers are the ones that I'm interested in seeing today. For that's what the Bible talks about here because John says he had in his right hand the seven stars you read on down there a little bit later, and you find out that those were his preachers, <laughs> and his church. The candlesticks were his churches. I know what it's like to go through tough times from every once in a while. That's someone saying the other day. He said, "Brother Davis, why in this world aren't you mad?" I said, "Well, what's to be mad about?" And they went on and talked a little bit, and I said, "Hey, look." I, in 1968, March 13, walked down the middle aisle of a little old church out in Hadley, Michigan, and I got saved. And that night I became His, and He can do with me anything that He pleases. See, I'm just a star in His right hand. Well, I'm glad about that. How about you, that gets me excited. We are we're, we're in that we're in the watch care of Christ. We don't have to worry about all that goes around. We don't, we don't have to worry if Noriega gets caught or not. I heard this afternoon someone told me that he did. Glory to God. I'm not worried about it, but as long as we got him, let's go ahead and get rid of him. But we don't have to worry about that stuff. We don't have to worry if some government passes a law here in this country forbidding us to gather together. Why? We are in his right hand. doesn't matter what this world says. They killed him. They couldn't keep Him down. Amen? He's back up again. His hands. And the Bible talks in the latter part of verse 16. It says, And out of His mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and His countenance was as the sun that shineth in His strength. Could I remind you that by prophecy, the prophets of old took turns telling us that when Jesus died upon the cross, there was a sight that was not pretty to behold. In fact, we're told by Isaiah that his visage, his countenance, his appearance was not even that of a man. Have you ever let that grab hold of your thinking for a minute? On occasion, I've had to go to hospitals where there have been tragic accidents, some from the force of a car accident others from fires. I'm here to tell you that I can begin to understand what that verse is talking about. For I have seen people that I know like the men on this platform. When I went into the room, I did not recognize who they were because of the trauma that they had gone through. The head that had swollen in some cases to two and three times its original size. By prophecy, they said that Jesus went through such awful beatings. That his face was like that, they said he didn't look like a man. Huh. But John said, "I got good news for you. The guy I saw when he came back to see me on the Isle of Patmos, his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength." Boy, we serve a good Savior tonight. We serve a wonderful risen King. I joined the choir shortly after I was saved. And the first song that I sang in the choir has sort of stuck with me all these years And. If you ask Den Carroll when we traveled together and worked together on and off for five years and took turns leading singing together, not one service went by when he was leading singing, when we took turns preaching and leading the singing when we traveled around the country. Not one service went by that he did not somehow incorporate into the service this song that he knew was my favorite. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory And grace. I was telling my family this afternoon. We heard some of the Messiah on the way home. It was it was a part of the Messiah that a a a contralto was singing, which is the part that you don't like to listen to too much, unless you happen to be one of those. Do do you have any contralto? I love contralto. They're great. (laughs) Matter of fact, now I think about it, one of my favorite parts in the whole Messiah. But I said, I said to my girls, I said, hey, you, you know what? When they got down to the hallelujah chorus, and the queen was there with the others, she was so moved with emotion that she stood to her feet. And it's been sort of a tradition down through all these years. And when you get down to the hallelujah chorus, that you all stand. And that's okay, I guess. Let me tell you something else. There's going to come a time when we come face to face with the one about whom the Hallelujah Chorus was written. We shall not be standing upon our feet. We shall place ourselves prostrate at His feet. I love Him tonight with all my heart. Christmas season, when you keep your eyes upon Him, suddenly it doesn't matter what comes out of the little wrapped-up box. Suddenly it doesn't matter that you wished you had some more money to spend on your family, but you didn't. Suddenly it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter if they didn't have enough money to spend on you, but I won't talk about that tonight. but <clears throat> It doesn't matter near as much, though I'm sure it matters some, when the doctor has come out and said the awful words, cancer, to you. And it doesn't have the same impact upon those of us that love him to hear a tragedy of a lost loved one somewhere as it does upon a world that has no hope. Because I want to tell you what Jesus said to John when John fell upon his face as a dead man. Verse 17, it says that when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am He that liveth. Did you notice that was present tense? And was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And then He says, John, I have the keys of hell and death. You don't have to worry about a thing. When... we get into heaven, and by some means we don't understand quite completely, we're ushered into the very presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. An angelic choir of voices, no doubt with our voices mingled in with them, singing, And can it be? We can sort of envision of what that might be. But could I tell you, we don't have to wait until we get there. Let's get a vision of who He is tonight. Why don't several of us just get down to this altar this evening and say, God, I have not been living with the vision that John had of you. If I had been, I would have been living as a dead man to my will and a living man to your will. I'm talking to folks tonight that God wants you to do something and you've argued with them about it. Why don't you get a vision of him falling as a dead man at his feet? Had a man come and tell me one time, he said, my daughter will never go to a Bible college. She's a beautiful teenage girl. The youth group. Where I was a youth pastor. Said, I'll never let my daughter go to a Bible college she did not live long enough to graduate from high school I've often wondered if that man had had a different attitude what the outcome that little girl's life would have been you don't go to God and tell him what you will do and won't do You don't go to God with your head held high and your chin stuck out and your chest thrust out as if you're standing in a lineup for a general to come by and inspect you. You look at God and you say, Lord, whatever you want is what I want for you. We don't live that way all the time. And sad to say, I don't live that way all the time. And I don't know any human that does. I know lots that wishes we could, but we don't. I was preaching in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And after the service, Brother Carol and myself and the preacher went out to have a bite to eat at a, a little Sambo's. I don't know if they're still in business or not, but Sambo's there. And while we're waiting in line to be seated, some kids that had been at the service, not regular kids, but somebody had been invited by some contest they were having, walked up to me and making fun of me in front of everybody. They went, holy, 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 pointing at me, making fun. They thought they were going to get some kind of reaction out of me. I looked at the young man and I said, son, how I wish what you just said about me was true. And I stand in front of you tonight and repeat that statement. And I'm talking to men and women and boys and girls and teens tonight. You know, if you looked into his face this evening, that we have not been as dead men at his feet. We've been about our own agenda We've been about our own things, our own wills, our own wants, our own desires. And I'm just simply here tonight on Christmas Eve to say, hey, that remind you of a vision that old John had on the Isle of Patmos some 2,000 years ago. Why don't we read that same portion and get that same vision and have that same reaction with our lives to him tonight? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our precious Father, very haltingly and not very well, I preached about thy Son tonight. I sort of tried to give some indication of what John saw there, and then recorded by means of the Holy Spirit in Revelation 1. I pray tonight that we would get a glimpse of the hair and the holy countenance and the eyes of fire the feet of brass and the loving hands that hold us in the center of his will and the voice of the sound of many waters and the words that he speaks to us yet tonight fear not for I am he that liveth and was dead and yet liveth again. And I don't want you to be afraid because I hold in my hands the keys to death and to hell. I pray that tonight our wills would be broken and that thy will would be instilled in our hearts. I pray that as we gather around this Christmas season with our families, that we would do so with a vision of Christ. Our hearts long for the day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. But until that time, all we can do is see to it that our knees are bowed and that our tongue shall confess. And so help us tonight, we pray. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNBBC.com for Christian music you can trust.